Um, we are talking about the Holy Spirit, and uh, the, we believe uh, that the Bible teaches, uh, we'll just do this for a second, the Bible teaches that God is a trinity, uh, meaning God is three persons of one substance. So God is three, and God is one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that is a mysterious doctrine that can't be fully explained. Uh, anytime that someone tries to fully explain it, you come out with some kind of weird heresy. Uh, so it is, we see it as something that God is beyond our comprehension. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is the part of God. And even when I say the part of God, that's a misrepresentation. The Holy Spirit is God. But the Holy Spirit is um, oftentimes like a forgotten part of God or the forgotten um, member of the Trinity. We uh, tend to associate the Holy Spirit with emotional people or excitable people. And, uh, and I really feel like it is uh, so much more than that, or he or she is so much more than that, uh, so much more than just a, a part of the Trinity that we pay attention to when we're excited in worship, right? The Holy Spirit is the, I always say, the power agent in the Trinity, if you want to experience a powerful Christian life, not just a Christian life, but a powerful Christian life, then the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity that you want to engage with. And so today we're going to talk about, over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about what it is to be open to the Holy Spirit, uh, and we're going to talk about today what it is to be open to the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, at the introduction, oh, so you know, it'll be very right-brained at the beginning, and very left-brained at the end. So if you feel like, this is a lot of lists, don't worry, your turn is coming, creative people. Um, <laughs> the Holy Spirit uh, was present in all history because God is eternal, eternally in the past and eternally in the future, yet in the New Testament becomes kind of the age of the Holy Spirit. If we had God the Father in the Old Testament, and then we have the era of Jesus, God the Son, and then Jesus promised when he leaves, the Holy Spirit is coming, and it's going to be even better than Jesus, which was hard to, for people to believe, still is hard for people to believe. But the Holy Spirit comes in a particular way at a moment called Pentecost, which we celebrated last week. Last week was the, is, the, is when the church around the world celebrated Pentecost. But the verse, Acts 1, verse 8, actually is Jesus talking about uh, that moment. And Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they were, and in all Judea, which is kind of their valley, and then on, and Samaria, which was the kind of the next region to the north, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, Jesus gives them a promise where he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. He doesn't explain what that will look like, what that will feel like. He just says it will be powerful. And he expresses that there will be movement. You will be powerful here, and you will be powerful close to here, and kind of a day's journey from here, and to the very ends of the earth. That power and that movement is accompanied by ministry, which is where it says, you will be my witnesses. Uh, if you're not familiar with that word, that means you will bear witness, or you'll tell people about the life and the teachings of Jesus because of the power of the Holy Spirit giving you that ministry and moving you into the whole world. And so the disciples would understand that when Jesus leaves, this something or someone called the, the Spirit, or Jesus called him the, the comforter or the advocate, will come and you will receive power 
and you will be moving into new places, doing ministry in a powerful way. Uh, which, if you can imagine the ministry of Jesus and the power they experienced in the ministry of Jesus and the miracles and the aggressive teaching and the whole resurrection thing, uh, the power that they were expecting to be better than that would be something that was hard to believe or hard to lean into. And so uh, that power starts to be explained later on. This is in uh, 2 Timothy 1, uh, 7. If we can, uh, the Spirit, this is the Apostle Paul writing um, to a guy named Timothy much later. For the Spirit of God uh, gave us, for the Spirit, sorry, I read that wrong. For the Spirit, comma, God gave us, does not make us timid, uh, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Some of us, when we think of Christians, we think of people who shut their mouth and sit down and just be quiet. And that doesn't seem to be uh, the description of a person who follows Jesus in 2 Timothy 1.7 and in most of the scriptures. Uh, but there is power in a person who follows Jesus, there is love in a person who follows Jesus, and there's self-discipline in a person who follows Jesus. Uh, so this power moves us to new places, enables us to do powerful ministry, enables us to share the story of Jesus with other people, uh, which is a significant thing. And the way it works is in power, love, and self-discipline. Uh, those things that the church moves forward in power, uh, but not in the power of judgment, not in the power of condemnation, but in the power of love and self-discipline. So we express a message to others, and that same message we live out among them so that our words match who we are, our words match our deeds, and our words and our message matches our experience. Uh, so there's a few ways that I'm going to go through a list of how the Spirit gives power um, that we're going to kind of walk through, and I'm going to go really quickly. Um, but if you're a person that likes notes, this is like for you. I'm going to have a number one, and then I'm going to have like subpoint A and subpoint B. It's going to be very, very exciting, and half of you will think this is very, very boring. First one, uh, Roman numeral I. Uh, the Spirit, the Spirit, the power of the Spirit gives life. Spirit power gives life. Uh, Psalm 104 verse 30 says this, when you send your spirit, so the writer is saying, you, God, send your spirit, all living things are created. When God sends his spirit, the things that are alive become alive. And we see the Holy Spirit there at creation, and then all through history. Uh, in fact, Job 34, 14 and 15, I wrote, I wrote this stuff down. It says, if God withdrew his spirit and his breath, and so you know, those words in the original languages for spirit and breath were very, very similar, and so people would use that as a wordplay. But if God withdrew his spirit and breath, all humanity would perish together, and mankind would return to the dust. Uh, it is, theologically, this is just really interesting for someone like me, when God dies, like when Jesus dies, something happens that's very, very dangerous because if God ceases to exist, then all of us return to the earth and return to dust. Humanity ceases to exist because all humanity continues to exist on the basis of God's breath being put into them. There's actually, and this is a total side note, but there's actually uh, an understanding of in the Old Testament when God is asked, what's your name? He gives the name 
uh, Yahweh. In our language, it'd be a Y-H-W-H. And it, it is hard to say because it doesn't have vowels, but most people would say it sounds like the sound of breathing out like exhaling. Uh, And so when you exhale, whether you like it or not, you're saying the name that God gave himself for us to understand who God is. And so the people you know who don't believe in God are constantly go around breathing out God's name. It's a hilarious thing that God did uh, because it's like, I hate God. Oh, and what it took for you to say, I hate God, uh, is actually a declaration of the power of God. That was interesting. I mean, like, so God pulled the ultimate, like, where you cannot deny him because he says, when you breathe out, you're declaring my name. Uh, so when we breathe, it, it bears evidence of the existence of God, uh, which changes our perspective on people, right? If you know people who breathe, then they are people who rely on God for their existence, uh, according to the scripture anyway. So the spirit power actually gives life. Things are alive because of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is that the spirit power enables a spiritual service, uh, allows us to um, do things for others, uh, for the glory of God. Uh, in the New Testament, there are whole lists of what are called spiritual gifts. Um, I'm going to read through this, and there'll be a few of them in here, and then I'll tell you the rest of them. This in 1 Corinthians, which the same guy that wrote 1 Timothy wrote 1 Corinthians. Just one was to a guy named Timothy, and the other was to a church in Corinth. It says this in 1 Corinthians 12. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, uh, which kind of means the evidence by activity, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy, to an, which we would also call preaching. Uh, to another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, interpretation of tongues. All those are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. These spiritual gifts uh, in the uh, New Testament, they're described, um, there's kind of some academic discussion over what spiritual gifts are. The New Testament lists 18 of them. I'm going to tell you what they are, all right? There's a message of wisdom, a knowledge, uh, faith, healing, miracles, preaching or prophecy, distinguishing spirits, meaning understanding what's going on inside someone uh, from the words that they say. Uh, We sometimes use the word emotional intelligence. Uh, Languages, uh, whether those are, sometimes people would say those are heavenly languages that no one understands. Sometimes people say those are known languages. Interpretation of those languages. Leadership, administration, teaching, uh, pastoring or shepherding or caring for people. Apostle. apostleship (laughs) that was awkward Uh, apostleship which is kind of uh, we sometimes call that entrepreneurship or the beginning of new things specifically the beginning of new ministries or new churches in new places service, mercy, giving or generosity and hospitality all of those are spiritual gifts which means uh, there are people in the church that have each of those in a measure, according to the Holy Spirit giving them. And when people do these things, 
It is the outworking of the Holy Spirit, not the outworking of their own selves or their own effort or their own talent. It's a gift that the Holy Spirit has put in them for the common good, for the edification and the building up and the equipping of the church and for the witness of the church to the world. What that means is you, when you express your gift, are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your world. Now, a lot of times people will say, when we say, when did you know the Holy Spirit? It's when something, and I'm going to use the word fantastical happens. We were doing worship, and the band was killing it, right? And you didn't have any kids around you that were being distracting, and you didn't have like a Costco list on your mind, and you were like into it. It was Holy Spirit. But this list says that for some of you, the Holy Spirit expresses himself when you balance the budget. <laughs> for some of you, you're like, that is the work of the devil. That is not the, that is not the Holy Spirit, <laughs> right? Uh, the Holy Spirit gives each of us gifts, and we have these expressions which are, which are described as the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, meaning when you don't use your gift, you are limiting the activity of the Holy Spirit because there's a direct relationship between uh, obedience and repentance, which we'll get into a little more, and the activity of the Holy Spirit. You can't conjure up the Holy Spirit, but you can limit the Holy Spirit. And so if you are here, and there's, there's kind of one view of church that says, you put the superstars on stage and everybody else observes, right? And that's, uh, that's, not what we, that's not a biblical view of church. I think sometimes we fall into that thinking, oh, that person is super gifted, uh, they are awesome, put them on the stage, the rest of us will observe, right? And so we've got this observational Christianity going on. Or you'll say, well, I really want to tell you about Jesus, but I have no idea, but there's a guy who stands on a stage and speaks into a microphone that you should come and see right? Instead, what the Bible describes is a body of people, each working out their gifts so that the whole church functions. So that if we had a, a church expression that depended on people with gifts of like uh, the fantastical gifts of like leadership or faith or preaching and prophecy, uh, those, uh, those gifts that people we look to, if that's all we have, then a lot of times the administration falls by the wayside. A lot of times the hospitality falls away. A lot of times there are uh, distinguishing of spirits that aren't. There's gift mixes that happen that tend to happen. A person with leadership, it's rare to find a person with leadership and mercy, right? The leadership person tends to be, we're running over everything it takes to run over in order to get to where God wants us to get to. And then the mercy people are in the back apologizing. <laughs> right? All of Canada. Mercy gift. But uh, <laughs> when, when, uh, when we have an expression of the church that is leaning too heavy in one direction, what happens is the church starts to be an ineffective body. And it uses, the, in Corinthians, it actually uses that metaphor of a body. And, and you can think of even if you have small parts of your body that are uh, sprained or broken, right? The rest of your body suffers. When you sprain your ankle, the, your knees will start to hurt because you're walking out of balance. Your hips and your back are start to be affected, right? Uh, when you uh, 
when you have allergies, that like your whole life is affected by like one system in your body being overwhelmed. And so the body best expressed, and this is the followers of Jesus and the church best expressed, is people working in their gifts. And this happens in two ways. I think there are people who like think their gift isn't important, right? They're like, oh, well, I'm just, this is my gift, whatever, you know? Uh, that feeling is a lie that you're believing because that isn't what's expressed in the scripture. The, the other hand it happens is that you're like, you operate in your gift during the week, right? And then you're stressed out and you don't want to have to do that also in church. Uh, what, there's a power issue going on because some people will have these gifts that are fantastic and then they go to their local church and they don't use their gifts for the advancement of God's kingdom in their church. I'm not saying that you shouldn't use it at work. You should. Uh, but if you see church as the place where you can be lazy or you can not operate in your gift, then you're actually hampering the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your church. Uh, that isn't me being judgy or me saying, now sign up to serve, right? Like it, it really is the expression of the Holy Spirit doesn't depend on how cool your pastor is or how many people in your band are actually talented. <laughs> That's your, uh, yeah, that'll be your church popularity growth, right? The actual power of your church is affected by the people of the church operating within their gifts. Because God gives each church everything they need in order to accomplish the things that God wants them to accomplish. So the power of a church does not exist in how charismatic the people at the front are. The power of a church and the real, actual, gospel, spiritual power of a church exists in the spiritual activity of the people of the church. Third, the spirit power enables extraordinary ministry. Uh, and these are extraordinary ministry that aren't gifts. And the scripture goes through this, John 14, uh, John 20, Acts 2, uh, like there's a whole bunch that I can't go all the way through. If you want, you can write this down and Google it yourself later. Because of the Holy Spirit, a follower of Jesus has the power, and this is, should freak you out, to exercise demons and conquer evil. Uh, so if you're a person who follows Jesus and you're confronted by a demon and the Holy Spirit's in you, you have the authority to cast that demon out. We'll do that later. Um, <laughs> that's terrifying, isn't it? Uh, but the scripture teaches clearly that the power that is inside of you is more powerful than the power that exists in this world, and so you can claim and have authority over it. I know we turn it into horror movies with Catholic priests, uh, but I think that that should be just a regular Christian life. Um, the second thing is you have the power to conquer disease. Christians actually have uh, power and authority over diseases, all right? This does not mean that as a church, we're going to stop going to doctors, right? Because sometimes your power and authority comes by, go to, this, go to the doctor, right? Like God doesn't, isn't required to do miracles all the time. Uh, when we have the power, like some of you have a spiritual gift of healing and you uh, thankfully got into a job of like nursing or doctoring or uh, first responders kinds of things. And you do that and you work in the gift of the Holy Spirit all the time. And you don't walk into a room and say, well, you got the cancer, but I'm going to put my hand on you and you'll be fine. You go through and do the things that you need to do that modern science says, because science isn't the enemy of the Holy Spirit, right? Does that make sense? I just want you, I know there's like in Oregon, and I'm 
not from Oregon, but I know in Oregon that there are like, um, I'm going to use the word cults, <laughs> that like say we don't go to the doctor or we don't get blood transfusions or something weird like that. That is completely unbiblical, all right? I just need to say that out loud, I know, uh, just so that I'm clear. You have the authority, according to Jesus, to announce that sins are forgiven. Christians don't have the authority to forgive sins, but you have the authority to announce that sins are forgiven. Uh, Jesus says what you forgive on earth will be forgiven in heaven. What you loose and bind on earth, so you let go of or you hold tight, will be the same in heaven. So Christians have this authority in the Holy Spirit. Here's how this works, so you know. The New Testament of the Bible, and this is a common like, criticism of the Scripture, the New Testament of the Bible was put together by human beings at these large church councils where they had, like, here's the things we need to talk about, and here's the things that are required for books to be in the Bible. And the church, or the, the leaders of that, in that community said, here's what we see as what the New Testament is. There was never a time when God came down out of heaven and said, all right, I need two of the five letters to, written to Corinthians, but not all five, just two of them, right? And I need Revelation. I know you're all freaked out by it, but I need Revelation. And, and third John counts. Even though it's really short and you basically skip over it all the time, it counts. Well, Jesus, or God, never showed up and did that. He said the church has the Holy Spirit, and so they can determine these things. The church carries an incredible amount of responsibility, not just for ourselves, but for future generations of Christians because we determine. Now, what does that, we're not re-deciding what goes in the Bible and what doesn't go in the Bible. Uh, there's been some fun things in history. If you know a guy named Martin Luther, he tried to take the book of James out of the Bible. Jerk. But uh, it is, uh, there's been other people that are like, I don't know that this belongs. I don't know that that belongs. And they don't usually take it too far. But in uh, the application of the scripture to modern day issues, the church carries authority to respond to those. Because we have things in, that are happening in our world, and, and I know there's like nothing new under the sun and stuff like that, but there are things happening in our world and experiences that were happening in our world that we haven't had happen before. Uh, like technology and communication has increased to the point where we're changing the way that people think and the way that people behave. And so the church carries the authority to respond to that. The church does. And that means not every individual, but the church as a community has the Holy Spirit and it has the authority to say, this is how the Bible applies in this situation. Uh, and, and it doesn't mean that every one of us do that, that we are some of us who are especially gifted in knowledge and wisdom, and we tend to lean on those people. They write scholarly books that are difficult to understand, uh, but we tend to rely on those people, those people who are operating in their gifts so that we can move forward. Um, second, or last, the extraordinary ministry, the, power, the spirit power enables extraordinary ministry is that you're actually able to tell someone about Jesus, do the thing that Jesus said in Acts 1-8, witness. You're able to tell the story of the gospel and conquer spiritual death in a person. Some of you have had this experience where you sit down with someone who's far from God, you tell them about Jesus, and their life changes, and not just their life, their eternal destiny changes. Like if you're wondering if you have power as a Christian, you have so much power that you're able to tell people the gospel, and then people's eternity changes because of your spirit-empowered work in their lives. 
Like, I don't know if there's, like, I know casting out demons and healing people and doing miracles and speaking in tongues and interpret. like, those are fantastical gifts. This isn't a gift. This is like an extraordinary ministry that people have. Like, I don't think that we uh, stand in awe enough because at some point, someone told me. Like, someone had the power to change my eternal destiny, to change my entire life because they were able to tell me something and explain something to me and then I responded to it and my eternity changed. And many of you experience that same thing and we think it's this thing that you should be kind of scared of or kind of nervous about because what if you say the wrong thing and convert them to Christian science accidentally? Right, like, which is not a real danger, but uh, but there, we tend to like feel intimidated by that, like talking about our personal faith. Yet our personal faith, empowered by the Spirit, gives us this incredible power to be able to talk to people in a way that will change their forever. You and I carry that much power in us, so that. The re- here's the reason I bring that up. Not, I'm not trying to get you to manipulate you or guilt you. So that when you have the experience and you have the opportunity, the scriptures teach, live in such a way that people ask you questions about why you still have hope, even though the world looks so hopeless, right? And, and if you want to find hopelessness in the world, there are TV channels dedicated to that, right? Uh, like Boston sports channels. Um, <laughs> I'm anxious. But uh, when, uh, when we are able to have hope in that, and people ask us a question, and we're able to respond, that is an eternity-changing conversation. And so when you have that conversation, there should be like a feeling of powerfulness that comes over you. Like, I cannot believe that I told someone about Jesus, and they changed their eternity forever. Forever. That power and that authority exists in us. That is, that's exciting to me. Anyways, uh, number four, the spirit uh, power uh, becomes a, a power for service to others. Uh, and here's where I want to talk about, this is in John chapter four, Jesus is walking and he gets thirsty, he sits down by this well in Samaria and a Samaritan woman starts talking to him. Uh, he breaks a whole bunch of uh, taboos and has the conversation with a, uh, a scandalous uh, Samaritan woman, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't tend to be hanging out together. And Jesus is explaining using the metaphor of water, which in the scriptures, the water is often a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. This is why we baptize in water, right? We, or uh, we dunk or sometimes you sprinkle people or there's different ways that different churches baptize. But uh, the water is the symbol of the Holy Spirit and the baptism is the symbol of the baptism of the Holy Spirit often. Jesus says this in John chapter 4, everyone who drinks this water, referring to the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them, that Jesus gives them, will never thirst. Meaning the experience of having the Holy Spirit is a fulfilling experience. Indeed, Jesus continues, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now here's why that's important. For the Jewish culture, water that sat still, like in a well, was um, not water that you could use to bless or to baptize. It was still water. It was, uh, not, it was dead water. 
living water would be from a spring or a river that was in movement. And that water could be used for uh, spiritual purposes because it was living water. And so Jesus says, you compare this well, which is dead water, and he compares when you receive the water that Jesus gives, you become a spring of living water. Meaning that you, full of the Holy Spirit, become a source of holiness and purity and ministry for the people around you. So the people around you, your friends, your community, are dependent upon you for ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You are the source of ministry that God has chosen for the people around you who are, to use the metaphor, thirsty. The people who need God. They sometimes don't even know they need God, but sometimes really do know they need God. You are that source. How about that for powerful? All right, so how do we actually engage this? That was very listy. Now I'm going to tell a story, all right? And I'm going to, this story is in the Old Testament. It's a prophet named Ezekiel uh, who had a very exciting ministry. He's one of my favorite prophets uh, because of some of the experiences that he had. And this is a short story that happened to Ezekiel that will kind of gross you out and make you see what the Holy Spirit does uh, or how we engage with this. This is Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was on me. Ezekiel is the me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord that set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. That's gross. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, God asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And anytime God asks a question, you assume he's tricking you. So I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know, right? If you're uh, a young person today and a kid asks you a question, like, where were you last night? Sovereign parent, you alone know, right? That's a good response, always. <laughs> then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you which is the same word for spirit, and, we, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin, and I'll put breath in you, and you will come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, and we would use the word preaching, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breathe from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied and commanded, and as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life on their feet and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel, the people of God. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up 
from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel, which was the promised land. It's a way of saying I'll bring you back to a blessed relationship with God. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord, and I will open your graves and bring you up from them, and I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land, and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. The experience of the filling of the Holy Spirit that happens in this uh, experience, I don't know if it really happened or if it was, I don't know if God knew there was a valley of bones and we're going to go do this, like there was some battle where they didn't bury the dead, uh, or if it's a vision or experience, that's not the key point that God is trying to make here. What God says is, here is how the Holy Spirit fills people. And what it goes through is God says, my people, I will open your grace. I will bring you back to a blessing. I will put my spirit in you. I will settle you. You see who's doing all the work in the filling of the Holy Spirit? God is. The Holy Spirit isn't something that they were like, well, if these bones earn it, well, if these bones do their best, or if these bones behave the way they're supposed to behave, then they will get the Holy Spirit. The two things that uh, the people are supposed to know is you will know and you will live. The responsibility of the people of God is to know and to live, which means to know isn't just to know and then disobey. To know is to know and live in light of that. So we would call that obedience to God's ways and God's commands. And then to live would be to what we would call repentance, to continually go back or to live out in the power of God at any time you kind of get off track to go back to obedience. That obedience and repentance ends up in this undivided heart and this new spirit. There's actually another verse, can we go to that, uh, in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, where God says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. So a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit not just with a big list, but this is in a plain story in the Old Testament. A person who's filled with the Holy Spirit is known by obedience to God and repentance when they mess it up. Not perfect obedience and never repenting. Not always repenting and never obeying. But it's that relationship that goes back and forth between I follow God, I fall short, Romans 3, and I follow God and back around to Romans 8 where God puts me back where I'm supposed to be. And this relationship and this cycle that we have with God moves us forward into the powerful life of the Holy Spirit. Here's what you need to do about that. The first thing I think, and this will be constant every week, is we need to go to the Holy Spirit in prayer. Praying for a life of God that is powerful, loving, and self-disciplined. I think self-discipline, a lot of times we try to do like just by our own work. And I would encourage you to pray for a life of self-discipline. And then, I think it's actually important for the power of the church that you as a church person or a church member or a church participant is to know your spiritual gifts and do what you need to do to get into using them. It's really popular to Google spiritual gift tests and answer a bunch of questions. And you can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a fun time. But there's no spiritual gift test in the scripture. 
right? Like there was never a, a Cosmo sidebar where it said, are you into prophecy, right? Like, <laughs> I think you do the test, but then you do the things, right? And you will find out really quickly if you have the gift or you don't. If you want to know if you have the gift of hospitality, invite people over. When they go home, are you drained or energized? If you're drained, you might not have that gift. If you're like, that was the best night ever, I need to do that all the time, you might have the gift of hospitality. Uh, go uh, serve in, a, in a, a land that's stricken with poverty and see if you have mercy on them. A person with mercy actually looks to uh, solve the issue for the person there. A person who doesn't have mercy, that has leadership, uh, goes, I don't know what's going on with the system that's putting us there, and we need to, I don't need to like, do the feeding of the homeless, I need to stop the system from creating homeless people, right? Do you see that? Both of those are good responses, but both of those reveal your gifting. It's not one is good and one is bad, but when we start operating in our giftedness, the power of God expressed in our city will be irresistible for people who are constantly breathing God's name in turning to the gospel and turning to Jesus. I would love it if it became very, very difficult to go to hell in our town. <laughs> That's kind of a strange way to say that. But I would love it if the people of God operated in the power of God so that the gospel became irresistible. Let me pray for you. Let's stand. God, actually, Holy Spirit, we believe that your scripture teaches that we are filled with the Spirit. And so we ask that you would free us from anything that keeps us from living in the power of the Spirit. For those of us who, when we talk about obedience and repentance, can think of specific sins that are... Um, trapping us, enslaving us. God, I want to pray that your spirit would give us the power for obedience to your word and repentance. Because you don't expect perfect behavior and you've allowed us this path through Jesus' life and death and resurrection back to you. And that pattern, God, we pray, would be empowered by the Holy Spirit in a way that moves us closer and closer to your heart and closer and closer to, the, to what it is to be like Christ. May the Spirit of God rest on us and may the power of God fill us in every way and in every giftedness for the common good of all people in all places. Spe very specifically for your church, but for your church in as much as your church is for the world. By your grace we pray. Amen.